Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the podcast about change and transformation in the shipping ocean and maritime space. This is Aranax, powered by Fathom World, and I'm your host, Craig Eason. Later in this episode, we'll be taking a quick dive into what's been happening this week in technology and shipping innovation, talking to Nick Chubb, founder of Thetius in the UK, a young company rapidly becoming a respected source of intelligence analysis and research on these emerging technologies. But first, just before the world changed due to the impact of the coronavirus, the International Maritime Organization announced the formation of a new department to oversee much of its external activities that supports the goals of its members' decisions. The IMO gets a lot of criticism, being accused by many people as being a slow bureaucratic intergovernmental leviathan that's years behind the curve when it comes to how shipping needs to be regulated. But is this fair criticism? There are, after all, two parts to the IMO. There's the member states that send representatives to meetings, much in the same way these countries send representatives to any United Nations meeting, and can then work either collectively and agree or disagree and procrastinate politically. And then there's the Secretariat, the people working permanently at the IMO headquarters in London. This is more than just the Secretary-General, currently Keetak Lim, who's voted in, but civil servant-type people, many of whom are experts in their field. These Secretariat staff work at the IMO without any national allegiance, and it's these staff that have been tasked with helping bring the IMO rules into force, often by helping member states bring them into their own regulations. And here the IMO has another function, one that the Secretary-General is currently keen to promote, the ability to be a catalyst for change. Thus, it's restructuring some of its internal departments to create a broader, more powerful projects and partnerships team that can work with industry, with other UN bodies, and importantly here, with some of the international development banks. This is no small task and comes with a requirement for a lot of new collaboration and funding sources to be found. The job has fallen to Josie Matigal. Jose is responsible for one of the first projects that saw the IMO work with industry and other UN bodies, the Globalist Project, and he's been involved in other such projects, including GLOMEEP, the Global Maritime Energy Efficiency Partnerships, and more recently, GLOFOWLING, which is trying to address the thorny issue of hull fouling that leads to higher risk of invasive species. Now, it's through these projects that the IMO and industry has also formed the Global Industry Alliance, where industry joins and works with the IMO on low-carbon strategies, funding and, to some extent, implementation of policies. GIA members include ship owners, class societies, technology and other engineering firms. And there's also decarbonisation projects at the IMO where the organisation is working with other funding bodies, UN agencies and banks. These are now being collated under the new department being headed by Josie Matiacal. So can this new department help smooth the decarbonisation pathway the IMO and shipping will need to work their way along together? In one of his first interviews about the objectives of the division and how it will need to collaborate with others, including industry, the UN agencies, Josie Matiacal talked to me about the need for this new level of collaboration. The way that we would like to develop this partnership is also because we would need the expertise uh, and 
existing and initiatives of various partners out there who are in the maritime field. We also would like to see more resources, financial resources to flow into the sector um, through such partnerships. So when you look at the, you know, the, the need uh, in terms of the, the strength and competence of other potential partners and also the financial resources that we'll be able to mobilize through them, would actually take this partnership ideas a bit further. For example, the, typically the, the projects of IMO in the past has been with the GEF, the Global Environmental Facility, who are funding a number of projects through the UNDP that came to IMO and it implemented. Globalis is a great example of that. Um, similarly, Glomi, the same sources. Um, and, and then came the bilateral donors, such as Norway, um, and others um, to fund a number of these projects. Then we started slowly getting into the, the strengths and expertise and the resources and opportunities out there with the private sector partnerships. Um, private sector brings two um, advantages. One is they are the final actors in implementation of IMO conventions. So getting them on board with us in these projects um, is, is, is very important. Secondly, there's a lot of expertise out there, know-how out there that we could leverage on and we can bring to the table. And thirdly, some of them are willing to bring some financial resources to address some common issues. So the, the private sector base is uh, something that we would really like to expand on. Um, so one step will be actually increasing the private sector partnership, such as the Global Industry Alliance. Now, there's another type of partners that we what we are trying to engage with is the multilateral financial institutions, such as the, the, the banks, the World Bank, the, the European Bank for Reconstruction Development, et cetera, et cetera, where they have an interest um, in supporting maritime sector, which is a cornerstone of economic development. Um, and they do have uh, sometimes funds available, and they are also interested directly bringing finance to um, uh, financial sector. Um, so IMO could play a catalytic role in partnering with these financial institutions um, and, and then facilitate some of this engagement between the financing side and the, and the user side of the finance. So that's another type of finance, you know, partnership that we're engaging with. Then also the... Uh, traditional uh, partners um, like bilateral donors, um, there are many more uh, ODA, Overseas Development Assistance countries out there whom we never engaged much with in the past other than a few, um, a few countries. So uh, broadening that bilateral uh, you know, relationships with a number of these donor countries, it will be part of our, our new steps. Um, and then also some of the sectors such as ports. Um, IMO traditionally, okay, so it's a very good partner with the ports um, and, and because shipping and ports work together um, and they represent IMO discussions, but we never had too much, very close partnership with the, with the ports as, as an entity itself in terms of projects. So um, we are um, right now discussing um, uh, ways and means of increasing such partnership with the ports. Um, and we, are, we have been working with the IEAPH, the International Association of Ports and Harbors. Um, we did great work together in our Glow MEEP project on the energy efficiency side. 
We develop port guidance, um, emissions uh, inventory tools, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we think that is a, you know, that is a good um, uh, opportunity out there to increase that partnership with the, the port side of it. So these are some of the examples that, uh, that we are thinking of. And, um, you know, already there are some good discussions going on to increase such partnerships. And that's what the department will be focusing on in the future. There's the angle of the, the use of this department to promote innovation then within the maritime sector um, and facilitate innovation within the countries, the member states. How do you see that actually percolating then to the technology companies, for example, that have got ideas, they've got solutions that are being developed at the moment? I see a number of EU-funded projects, Norway-funded projects, UK, the US has got projects, Japan has got a number of projects. They're all being nationally funded. I I don't see any sort of coherent um, global development that's going on to say, right, this is the way things are going. There are industry driven ones. So how do you see this promotion of innovation in the maritime sector percolating into some of those other projects, percolating into um, the industry players, the industry actors, the industry efforts already underway? IMO as such is is not a body that does R&D or development itself, nor it can actually be supporting a particular technology um, because it's a neutral platform. However, the fact remains that maritime innovation is very much needed to address some of the new issues, especially the climate change issues and also the other emerging issues that IMO is dealing with. So what IMO can do through this uh, department is um, creating some kind of enabling mechanism at the global, regional, and the national level where innovation is promoted, innovation is facilitated, the right policies are developed uh, for maritime technology, uh, innovation, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the, the, some of the examples, um, how we are doing this, how we plan to do this is, um, one example we mentioned earlier, um, forming uh, industry alliances such as the Global Industry Alliance, where Um, like-minded companies coming together and trying to develop common solutions. And again, this is an innovation platform where they can think of new ideas and they can actually fund together to develop uh, or convert these ideas into into realities. Um, In in addition to that, um, we are also hoping to facilitate innovation forums, um, such as a maritime innovation forum, where we can bring all the... um, technology developers together to share their experiences and um, and then so that you know the the, the whole um, collaborative environment can be created to take the innovation further now oh, sorry just to add on yes. to that then so that yes. would actually help um, individual projects or well, what it would do is it would make sure that projects don't actually overlap on some of the work that's already underway. So that we're not doubling yeah, up. Exactly, Greg. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 it avoids uh, duplication. It promotes uh, information sharing. It brings a kind of openness within the whole innovation community um, and, 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 and bring collaboration uh, more stronger. Now, uh, how do we practically do beyond such forums? Uh, one example we have already done was establishing the maritime technology cooperation centers in five regions of the world. 
And this was supported by the European Union uh, with a $10 million funding in the last three years where we were successfully um, established this maritime technology cooperation centers. Most of them are based on uni- maritime universities in the, mm. and, and serving the different regions. I remember so, them being launched and they were there, there's, there's based in the Caribbean and yes. um, South America, in Asia mm-hmm. and places in, in the developing regions, effectively. That's true. So the main purpose of the centers were to become some kind of a center of excellence when it comes to maritime technology and cooperation. And they could even act as, um, you know, uh, facilitator for transferring technologies um, or, or helping the, 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 the different industries in the sector to, to take up these new technologies. And they could even play a role in demonstrating technologies if somebody wants to do it, et cetera, et cetera. So these kind of centers could be um, one of those uh, ingredients where we can promote such a innovative innovation collaboration. Now, there are also more practical opportunities uh, through some of the new projects that we are embarking on, such as the Green Voyage project funded by the Norway, which is focusing on energy efficiency. However, the project has a big focus on demonstrating technology solutions. So when there are uh, interested um, technology developers and if if they are showing promises and if if a particular member states who is participating in this project uh, would like to demonstrate that particular solution, this project can give some support from a demonstration point of view. And this could be, I mean, the project alone may not be able to do it, but that's where we might be uh, bringing some of the financial institutions to support demonstration, et cetera, et cetera. But we can be a big catalyst in um, demonstrating technology solutions so the, the, the wider industry uh, uptake um, could, be, could be achieved. Um, similarly, uh, some of the new projects that we are discussing with the donors are also looking into more technology demonstration-oriented projects. Um, and, and we hope that this will be the future. And, and, and this is one of the ways of also promoting innovation, because many times the innovation stops when, you know, when there are no opportunities to take it, you know, beyond the, you know, the R&D level and commercialization level uh, and, and providing a platform for demonstrating some good solutions provided somebody's interest to do that is one way of promoting it. Do you see the um, proposal for the R&D fund that has been put towards MEPC by um, Mm -hmm. a number of... uh, Let me me rephrase that. There was already a suggestion within the the IMO as part of the the roadmap for some R&D fund to be shaped. And this has then been supported and developed in its own way by some of the ship owner groups and that and that proposal has now been put forward to be discussed at the MEPC but do you see that fitting into what you're trying to achieve with this new division? Well um, it's an interesting question what we are aware of is that this paper is being submitted to MEPC um, but the common interest behind this initiative, anything else, everything else is, is the same that we do need uh, support for R&D um, and innovation, which is actually very much part of IMO's greenhouse gas emission strategy, uh, which is to promote R&D and technology development. So doesn't matter who initiates it and, and who does it. Um, it, it does support the, 
goals of the GHG strategy. Now, the particular proposal um, that I am aware of and that the industry has uh, put into IMOMEPC um, is, is still a proposal. Uh, it needs to be discussed by the IMO member states um, and then some decisions um, or further steps would be taken in that meeting. Um, now, how the department will, if it goes ahead in one form or other, how the department will plug into that is something um, you know we need to we need to think of. Um, clearly, um, the department uh, would be interested in getting connected to such initiatives if it happens. Um, in what form and what shape is all will depend on how the member states will decide on the IMO's role in such initiatives. So, uh, you know, department is part of IMO and, you know, it would go along with what IMO uh, and member states decides how it should, it should get involved. You mentioned earlier that um, you're looking at developing a closer relationship with some of the international banks when it looks for um, donors and funding for yeah. a number of, of the projects. Have mm -hmm. you found that the banks have been a lot more aware of marine and ocean issues over the last two or three years as we've developed the UN uh, Sustainability Development Goals? Yeah, certainly. Um, the, the banks over the last two or three years have been very, very proactive and uh, driving some of these things. Um, especially, uh, it is connected to the SDG, SDG 14, and to certain extent 13 as well, and many other SDGs that are related to the maritime sector. But also the, the, the belief uh, that the blue economy is the way to go and, and the oceans have a big role to play in this uh, blue economy. Um, so the banks on one side uh, see uh, oceans uh, as an important uh, sector to look into, but also very interested uh, in looking at the, the potential of maritime-based industries. Um, so um, a, a clear example is um, some of the initiatives that uh, the bank, such as the World Bank, uh, is doing by creating the Pro Blue Fund um, or the work by the European Bank for Reconstruction Development um, um, on, on, on supporting um, specific ocean-based industries. Um, so, yes, clearly. And, and I think it is driven, um, and it has always been the case that maritime sector is um, a cornerstone of any economic development um, of the countries uh, that the banks are operating in, and these development banks. So um, while many of these banks do not have a maritime sector-specific portfolio, we have been actually observing that a lot of these banks are now putting a lot of focus on maritime sector, uh, be it the ports um, where they would uh, want to invest in in some of the regions or be the shipping industry. Um, yes, and, and, and that's a great opportunity for IMO to tap into that interest and see how the strength of both these sides can come together. IMO being the regulatory body, having the strong connection with the member states, knowing the demand of the sector, the needs of the sector, where the banks have the strength in, you know, developing financial products, uh, even mixed financing, blended financing. They also have a great um, leverage on uh, 
on 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 um, donor financing and they can actually then offer concessional loans etc cetera, etc cetera. so um and also um the banks are also very much interested in the new infrastructure requirements that some of these new regulatory um, uh, you know developments are actually um, creating and um, uh, for example the port reception facilities for waste management reports um, be it a shore based uh, or port based power supply to the ships um, as one of those green financing or be it um, funding a communication system between the ships and the ports to facilitate just in time arrivals and thus saving a lot of money and fuel etc so there are a lot of areas the banks are can see the benefits both from an environmental perspective and also from a financial perspective so they are very very keen to join with us we have had some good discussions with the world bank and with the european bank for economic development we already have an mou in place with the european bank for economic development where we join hands in the past uh, on a, a number of occasions and and they were very successful and so we hope that we can expand it much further so my final question then is you've got the funds coming through the imo these donor funds etc into these projects but at the other end the other extreme end of this maritime picture is the very commercial and competitive edge of the shipping industry how do you see that um benevolence from the funding and the competitiveness of the industry itself the inherent competitiveness how do you see those two aspects working alongside each other yes um my my take on that craig is uh, although there is a competition um within the sector and there are many players uh, shipping industries working in the same same area and obviously there will be a commercial competition um which is which is which is a fact and which is there in every sector however um the solutions to some of these issues that deal with i am or deal with are very common to many of these industries take an example of the energy efficiency area um and and the solutions that the com- the companies are looking for many times are very common um and i am actually seeing more of a collaboration spirit now between these companies than a competition um a clear example is the global industry alliance that we have set up and around the table there are 16 or 17 big companies involved they are in a way competitors you know among themselves uh in the same sector but they are coming around a table putting the resources and expertise together to develop uh common solutions um so while there may be many drivers that uh that that actually um results in competition within the sector which is which is healthy and which which is there in every sector um the what the department will be looking for is where do we find a common interest and and how do we bring that common interest together to develop common solutions um rather than getting into the competition you know sphere of the commercial competition sphere of the the industry we we don't get much engaged into it but rather we will probably focusing on where the commonalities are and where the common interests are and how do we bring them together and how do we then connect 
the financing uh, sources such as the banks and other donors to this common interest of the industry and develop common solutions. So that was Jose Mataikal at the IMO talking about the new department that's being set up to help encourage industry and the policymakers to collaborate on the decarbonisation strategies that they need to work for. Now, let's have a look at what's actually happened this week when it comes to some of the technologies, particularly the digital technologies and the startup community. And here to help me is Nick Chubb from Thetius. Thanks, Craig, and thanks very much for having me on the on the show. Uh, there's been some interesting stuff happening in the startup world in the last week, uh, but I wanted to start this week with uh, big tech. Uh, in January, the combined market cap of Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, and Alphabet was $4.3 trillion. At the market close yesterday, that market cap was $4.7 trillion. So they've managed to create $400 billion in market value in just four months. Um, to put that into context, that's nearly as much as the UK's entire economic rescue plan. Uh, the average age of those companies is just 34, but they've become bigger than many national economies. Uh, and one of the reasons for their incredible performance is an ability to leverage exponential growth. It's really difficult for us to understand ex- exponential growth because it, it kind of appears to defy logic. And our brains are wired to, to, to think about the future in straight lines. Exponentiality creates a a gradually then suddenly effect and it catches most of us off guard. Celebrating the birthday of another great disruptor that grew exponentially, this week marked the 64th birthday of the shipping container. Um, Containerization grew gradually then suddenly and it led to the demise of many hundreds of general cargo carrying lines who dismissed the invention until long after it was too late. Uh, To celebrate its birthday, we dug out some old data and we discovered that as well as growing exponentially as a technology itself, um, it also allowed us to carry exponentially more cargo around the world. The modern container ship can carry 70 times more cargo than their forebears. Um, There are just over 6,000 container ships uh, sailing the seas today. Uh, If the container didn't exist to support the same volume of cargo, we would need 437,000 ships to be sailing the oceans. Looking at what you're saying about exponential growth then, Nick, do you think in the startup community, in the level of innovation that we've seen, do you think the next great disruption is already there? A hundred percent. I've got no doubt that the, uh, whatever it is, the force that will disrupt the industry the most in the, in the coming few decades um, already exists. It's just growing gradually um, and will be dismissed by many. Um, And then just like all of these other technologies, all of a sudden it will grow very quickly, uh, uh, too quickly for many to keep up with. So what's happened over the last week? Have we seen any funding for startups? Have we seen any big rounds? Because once the COVID-19 pandemic started to sweep across the shipping industry, across the world, I should say, we saw a lot of activity come to a halt. Yeah, absolutely. COVID-19 has been a, a both an accelerator of of digital transformation uh, and put a lot of it on on hold. I think a lot of traditional shipping companies that would never have dreamed of embracing remote working six months ago um, are are now making a success of it. Um, But equally, a lot of strategic uh, transformation projects um, are being put on hold. Uh, Through March, uh, we saw startup funding uh, ground almost to a halt, um, but things seem to be picking up uh, now that we're coming to the end of April. 
Um, in the last week, uh, the UK headquartered CyberAL, uh, who develop uh, cybersecurity systems that essentially create a, an early warning system for, for breaches uh, on, in ships and ports and uh, industrial sectors. They closed a £1.8 million Series A um, and also uh, Greek uh, AI platform Deep Sea Technologies uh, closed a €3 million Euro Series A as well. So we're starting to see it pick back up um, and actually they're, they're not insignificant size rounds. Well, that was Nick Chubb from Thetius talking to me about the latest developments in innovation. Now, that's it for this episode of Aronax. Remember to subscribe to the podcast through your favourite podcast app or service provider. And of course, go to fathom.world and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which comes into your inbox every Sunday evening. Until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye.